So I did this in previous years, this kiss I've never did this before this time of year. Every class I'm gonna say another piece. So I'm gonna start with you, Sukkot. So each seminary based group is gonna get a different part of Sukkot and Simchas Tere. And I'll be happy to send you the classes. So all told, I will have done it all, I'm hoping. And um, I'll share it with you. That's what I'm planning to do, okay? So I'm gonna start after Yom Kippur, okay? Um, Yom Kippur, this is one of the experiences that anybody who witnessed it cannot forget. You would see the great transition. By Napoleon's march, the Rebbe looked like a malach, like an angel. The way I described Tchias to you, right? The Rebbe looked like he looked at Tchias. He looked, his face was, the, the, the countenance was pale with a little red. That's how I remember it. I don't remember the Rebbe being tomato red. I've seen the Rebbe be very red, but not, not by Tchias, not by Napoleon's march. And um, he looked like he was a million miles away. The feeling, Napoleon, he would clap and he would encourage the singing, but... His body was doing one thing, his face was a million miles away. Then after Napoleon's march was mitered, the whole thing took 10 minutes. After mitered, the Rebbe turned around, literally 10 minutes later. And the Rebbe's face was radiant. He shone like the sun, he was so beautiful. It's impossible to imagine how a person's countenance can change so much in such a short time. Yom Kippur was Yom Kippur. As soon as Yom Kippur was over, you saw on the Rebbe's face, Sukkot, this is not a fair description, but I'm going to say it anyway. The closest thing to how the Rebbe looks in Chasteda are the pictures of Matsim Kippur. If you want to see how the Rebbe looks in Chasteda, look at the pictures of Matsim Kippur. On Sim Chasteda, the whole 24 hours, they looked that way. It wasn't so much the smile. It was the radiance. The Rebbe's face shone. On, on Sim, if Yom Kippur, you felt like the Rebbe is a million miles away, Sim Chasteda, there could be 5,000 people in Shul, and you felt like the Rebbe was standing next to you. There was such a sense that you felt so close. He was radiant, it was beautiful. It's, it's, there's no other word to describe, beautiful. I once told the girls, and I'm telling you, I guess, they found a movie of the Rebbe talking to Benjamin Gardetsky, and they played it, they showed it. The ones that Rebbe had a public echidus, I told this to you last year. I video. It's unbelievable. They send it to the girls, send it around. The Rebbe, had, the, the Rebbe had people that he was very close with, that he worked with. The closest person to the Rebbe was Rabbi Chadikov. Arguably, the second closest person to the Rebbe was a person whose name you never really hear. His name was Rabag, Reish Beis Gimel, Rebbe Yaman Gardetsky. He was the Rebbe's shliach to Europe, to North Africa, and even to Israel. He was an incredibly accomplished Askan. He was incredibly capable. He raised so much money for Lubavitch and so much money for the Rebbe, it's more than anybody else. Uh, and he, he, he did what he was told. He was a soldier. But his relationship with the Rebbe was unbelievably personal. He went into the Rebbe for Yechidus every time he traveled for hours before he left and when he came back till 1992, it never stopped. And they would chat like two friends. The Rebbe talked to him. One time they had this chat in public and it wasn't a mistake. The Rebbe wanted this to be recorded. The Rebbe had what's called the Yechidus Clawless downstairs. The room empties out, there's no, sometimes a big room. There's nobody in the room, no one. When the last person leaves, the rabbi walks up to the Rebbe. The Rebbe remains sitting. Rebbe Yomagidevsky is standing, and they sit like this, talking for half an hour. The Rebbe leans back. He plays with his mustache. He's making with his hands like you never see. It's a conversation, very animated. 
And the Rebbe just looks gorgeous. There's no other word. Beautiful. Now on YouTube, there's two or three minutes. Get it, and she can send it to you. That countenance, I don't know why, that reminds me of some chastain. Pushet looks, that was 86 years old. Doesn't look like he's 50. His face looks be- just beautiful, physically gorgeous, radiant. That's how the Rebbe looked Matzah Simchas That's how the Rebbe looked uh, by Matzah uh, Kippe. That's how the whole Simchas So the minute Yom Kippur was over, the mood changed. The Rebbe radiated Simcha not with his words or even with his body, but with his face. When it was Sukkot, you knew it was Sukkot, they were looking at his face. The Rebbe just was in a good mood. And it started the day Simchas was over, that whole thing started. Now, the last couple of years, the Rebbe had a minig that after Yom Kippur, at night, while still in shul, the Rebbe would say that it says in Shulchan Aruch that you're supposed to start building the Sukkah Matzi Yom Kippur. If you could, you build it all Matzi Yom Kippur. The Rebbe actually said, and then the Rebbe said, of course, if you don't build it, you talk about it. I mean, most people, Matzi Yom Kippur, have one thing in mind. Actually, two things, food and sleep. But the Rebbe spoke about the idea that Matzi Yom Kippur, at least, it says in Shulchan Aruch, you're supposed to talk about the Sukkah. So the Rebbe's personal Sukkah was put up the night of Matzim Kippur. In other words, before Yom Kippur, it wasn't there. The big sukkah they're going to start building right after Rosh Hashanah. The Rebbe's small sukkah was built Matzim Kippur. After Yom Kippur, the Bachram came. By the morning, the whole sukkah was standing. The Rebbe spoke about this. The four days, with Yom Kippur and sukkah, sukkah, the Rebbe was busy with different things. Um, amongst the things the Rebbe was busy with was the Dalad Minim. First of all, the Rebbe bought Dalad Minim for himself. And the Rebbe had people who came to him Certain people, uh, the, 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 the original person who sold the Dalmin to the Rebbe was Rabbi Saul Jacobs in Oliver Shalom. He was a very, very famous, very important Lubavitcher Chassid here in America. And when he passed away in 1975, that Tzchus went to his son-in-law, who was a Shliach of the Rebbe for 70 years. 70 years. He lived till 100, him and his wife both. Harav Mordechai Alltime, Rebbe's an all-time husband. Okay, that's, that's how we knew her in Lubavitcher. Rebbe's an all-time husband. Um, she was Rabbi Jacobson's daughter. And he took over the business. So he would bring the Rebbe Dalad Minim. But then there were others. Leibov Vestrisky brought the Rebbe Dalad Minim. And there was a, a, other people brought the Rebbe Dalad Minim. And they would pick for himself. Of course, these people, before they came to the Rebbe, took the very, very best stuff that they had. They themselves would look through it. The best estrig, the best lulav. And then from those, the Rebbe would choose. And the Rebbe paid them with a $100 bill. There are people who have $100 bills from the Rebbe. Every year, the Rebbe gave you a $100 bill for the Dalad Minim. And uh, Rabbi Oltai had many hundred dollars of bills because they did it for so many years. A hundred dollar bill from the Rebbe. Imagine a hundred. Uh, how valuable is that? Why is that more valuable than a one dollar bill? Good question. Good question. Good question. The answer is because Sotheby's will sell it for more money. Why did you last Sotheby's? And they used to bring the Rebbe lulav and esrig and das nadav as they brought. The Rebbe himself needed three or four. I think when his mother was alive, he took four. When his mother passed away, he took three. One was for himself, and two went home. One was for the Rebbe, and I guess the second one was also for him. When the Rebbe passed away, the Rebbe told the David Askin to continue making the Dalad Minim, which they kept in the house. The Rebbe was mostly in 770 and Yantam. The Rebbe continued the Minim of making the Dalad Minim for the Rebbe, even though the Rebbe passed away. When his mother passed away, he stopped making for his mother, but the Rebbe made three. The one that he used himself, the Rebbe used to put together himself. The two for the Rebetzin and the three for the Rebbe's mother, Rebbe David Raskin, the Rebbe told him how to do it. He would tie the Dalad Minim. He would do, prepare the, the Luluf 
for the Rebbe. Zabut used to, used to purchase the Alminim and he insisted on paying for it. There's a whole story how the Friedrich Rebbe Dafke didn't want to pay for it. And the Rebbe was nervous because the Rebbe is very frum. He was worried about the Lachem, they're supposed to be your own. The Friedrich Rebbe Dafke paid after Yom Tif. The Rebbe insisted on paying before Yom Tif. This was one parish. And there's another part to that parish. The other part of that parish is that in Kfar Chabad they had Pardesim of Israelim. Kfar is the Rebbe city. And some of the Lubavitchers made a living making Yisregim. And they sold Yanaves. They planted, they transplanted Yisregim. We use, we don't use Israeli Yisregim. We use Yisregim from, from Italy, which are much more expensive. And they have a different shape. They look different. And they took saplings of Yanaves Yisregim. They planted them in Kfar Chabad. Later, they got an Esrik from the Rebbe himself. The Rebbe gave him his own Esrik. And from those seeds, they made... Now all the Pardesim in Eretz I think now also in Genoa, in Italy, they're replanting Yisregim trees from the Esrik from the Rebbe's. Um, and the, the people of Fachabad used to bring the Rebbe Dalet Minim also. And they would go into the Rebbe, I think, out of Yom Tif, And they prepared it with a beautiful box and so on and so forth. And the Rebbe would say, thank you. I don't think the Rebbe paid them for their Dalet Minim. Another thing that happened to the Rebbe before Yom Tif was the Rebbe gave out Dalet Minim. He took and he gave. And there was a list. You know, there's different levels of close. The closest, closest, closest got from the Rebbe Dalet Minim Kapshut. Rabbi Chadokov got from the Rebbe Dalad Minim. Rabbi Nisim Medel got from the Rebbe Dalad Minim. Rabbi Reichik, all of us, for those of any Reichiks in the room, got from the Rebbe Dalad Minim. There was a handful of people that the Rebbe gave, Rabbi Yom Gardeski got Dalad Minim. There's the other secretaries, the Rebbe would give them a hodos or one piece. But there were certain people who got from the Rebbe Dalad Minim. In addition, the Rebbe gave Dalad Minim to every country. So, for example, Morocco got Dalad Minim for the country of Morocco. And it's so, Kfar Chabad got two sets of Dalad Minim for the Gvada Gashmi, Vada Ruchni of Kfar Chabad. And the same is true of Yerushalayim, and the same is true of Nachas Chabad. And all different countries, would go, one person from each country had this host to go into the Rebbe and take Dalad Minim, like England, like France. I don't know all the particulars. The bottom line is you can see the videos of the Rebbe holding the paper. The Rebbe's holding the list, and he's looking at the list and looking at the people. What people tried to do is if you had Dalad Minim, you took four people. One took the Esrik, one took the maximum of people to come into the Rebbe. One took the Lulav, one took the Aravis, and one took the Hadassim. And the Rebbe would stand, first it was in his room, in his own Cheder, then in the later years it was in the room outside, what's called the Ganeid Natachten, and for the later years there's videos, and people would take one Lulav, one Esrik, the, the Holy of Holies, they got all four, they would get in the whole set, and everybody else would get, they would take, and when everybody was finished collecting, they would all line up, and the Rebbe would stand there with his list, and there was a shortage of Adasim, and go back into his room and bring more and put them down, people should have. At the end, he would give the photographer one, he would give the mosquito, you could see in the videos. And then each one would walk by the Rebbe, and the Rebbe would say to each one, in Yiddish, to bring down all of the good energies of associated with the Lulav for the whole year. Because Lulav is Amshach, right? In the whole world, the Lulav is scaring away the bad winds, right? That's why everybody else is. Shaking the lulav to the boogie monster, yeah? We bring the lulav to our heart, api kabola. Because the idea of the lulav is to, api halacha, it is, by the way, in halacha it says that it's to be, to be mevatal, at lolim royim, and ruches rois, to get rid of bad things. But in Kabbalah it's written that the whole idea of the lulav is to bring the makif of the sukkah into a pnimis, which is why we're careful to shake the lulav in the sukkah, and you bring it to your heart. So the Rebbe used to say, Now here's something which is absolutely mind-blowingly spooky. 
Each one walked by, holding either the four minim or the one min, depending, you know, center basic, they would do groups. And the rabbi said, each person, Mam Alam So there's a video, I saw it in my own eyes. One of the people who got from the Rebbe Minim, one of the most important of Shaksidim, really one of the most important of Shaksidim of our generation, was a Jew by the name of Reb Zusha Vilamovsky, the partisan. There's a book on him. Extraordinary Jew. A chassid like you never saw. He got from the Rebbe Minim. I don't know if it was personal or it was Kfar Chabad. He got from the Rebbe all four. And the Rebbe missed him. I watched the film ten times. I never missed him. But it looks like it was an oversight, like it was a mistake. People are moving. The Rebbe says to this one, to this one, to this one, to this one, and he didn't see him. And it's done so inconspicuously, it's done so naturally that you, you think it's a mistake. The first day Sukkot that year was Shabbos. He passed away once a Shabbos. He never shook his luluf. You could, this is something that you don't have to believe. You could see with your eyes. Ruach HaKadosh Goloi. Everybody walks by and the Rebbe just misses him. But it's done in such a way that it almost seems like the Rebbe is, you know, old and never bottle. He's not fully there, you know, he missed it. The first day Sukkot was Shabbos, he died, he never shook his luluf. And this, you don't need to believe me, you could see it with your eyes. It's, it's spooky and it's eerie, but it's amazing. I mean, the Rebbe knew, the Rebbe knew everything, but it was packaged as a, he, he, he just like was a regular person. That was the amazing thing. All of this holiness was presented in such a normal way that you could literally miss it. You could literally not see it. Literally not see it. Anyway, so Debe gave out the Dalit Minim. This was out of Yom Tov. Sukkot and Lubavitch can be divided into three eras, three epochs, as they say in history. Three periods. Until 1970, until 1980, and after 1980. Okay? Exciting, boring, very exciting. I'm sorry to break it to you, but that's how it was. When the Rebbe became Rebbe, the Rebbe fabrained in the sukkah a lot. Fabrained in the sukkah. The second day Yom Tov, the Rebbe fabrained, I think the Rebbe used to wash and eat a suda and make give kesher bracha. The second day sukkah. Shabbos Chalamei sukkah was a fabrain. In addition, until the Rebbe lost his mother, that means for 14 years, the Rebbe made a fabrain at night during Chalamei on a mic of which there's recordings, it was a fabrengen for Tamidia Yeshiva. So there was a minimum of three fabrengens every sukkah, and sometimes a fourth in the sukkah, in the sukkah. 1950 to 1970s, The end of the story was, any person who remembers that time, you say, you know, you were in the sukkah, and the first reaction, the pushing was terrible. You have to understand, the Rebbe sat in a most uncomfortable position. Because the Rabbeim sit in Dorim. Where's, where's Mizrach? Where's Mizrach? Where, I'm asking a question. Mizrach is that way? Which way is Mizrach? No, Mizrach is this way. This way is Mizrach. So where's Dorim? That's Dorim. So if you think about 770, where does the Rebbe sit in 770? On the far side of the room. That's Dorim, right? Where does he fabreng? In the far side of the room. But the room is longer than it is wide. Now, where is the sukkah? In the courtyard. Where's Dorim? At the back. The Rebbe didn't sit in the middle. So the Fabrengen was long and narrow, and the Rebbe didn't sit in the middle, which would be Mayrev, he sat in Dorim. So the Rebbe was sitting in a very uncomfortable position, and it was, the pushing was terrible, and now the benches in 770 are made of steel. Then they were made of wood. 
and wood is not that, and nails. <laughs> the benches would break like it was fun. If you just watched benches collapse, as a child, they went, and it would fall over the bench. Just and then you couldn't back up, it was broken, you had to fix it. And it was dangerous. That's right. The end of that story was Rabbi Marlowe's leg was pulverized. A table fell, made into powder. What? A, a, a bench, a table full of people, and he didn't say a word till the Rebbe finished the Sikha. The man was an excuse. Rabbi was such a big chassid. He didn't want to disrupt the Rebbe. Nobody knew till the Sikha was over. That man had one operation that Rabbi Marlowe could walk. Rabbi had two feet. Was a nest, Shalayapitava. There's no explanation. Rabbi had two feet. It was such a mess. He had one operation and a second operation and a third operation. His wife came to the Rebbe and said, enough operations. So the Rebbe said, okay, let him learn through Al-Tarebbe Shulchan Aruch. He knew Al-Tarebbe Shulchan Aruch by heart, verbatim, the whole thing. Let him learn through Al-Tarebbe Shulchan Aruch one more time and they canceled the operation. Not because of Al-Tarebbe Shulchan because the operation was unnecessary. So the Rebbe stopped ringing in the sukkah. Stopped, cold turkey, no more. There were, I think there was two occasions, but neither of didn't bring him. So when I was growing up, Sukkis was like Pesach. There was nothing happening. We went to great adventures. Chalamoid Sukkis was boring. It was not like everybody, like the whole from world. You went to sleep at night, you woke up in the morning. Okay, the only feature there was was a rally, for the, mostly for the kids from public school, and the Rebbe's Lulav. But that was it. So during my childhood, Sukkis was not exciting. It was very... It was like Pesach. Every day went on another trip. That's what we did. I'm embarrassed to say, but that's the truth of the matter. I mean, we went on Miftzayim. Of course, we went on Miftzayim. <laughs> what was I saying? What was I thinking? Anyway, but then came a Malif, 81. 80. So it starts Lamed Beis. I, I think the story of Ramallah happened in Lamed Aleph or Lamed, either 70 or 71. So that was from Lamed Beis, it was Norma Fabrengans, through Tafshid Mem, 1979. Tovshin Mem Aleph, which was the Shnaz Hakel, and by the way, this coming year, Tovshin Pei Gimel is also Hakel. It's it's every seven years, so it's forty-two years later. The first night of Sukkot, and by the way, Tovshin Mem Aleph, so many guests came. It probably seven seven was packed. There was no place to put people. The streets were full of people. The homes, everybody had so many guests. Tovshin Mem Aleph, the first night of Sukkot. The Rebbe turns around and starts to speak. And he speaks about Simchas Beis Sheva. You have to dance. Simchas Beis Sheva, you're supposed to dance. And the first year or two, the Rebbe spoke the simple stuff. He spoke to Halacha and he spoke to Hasidus that the Simchas Beis Sheva was not done on Shabbos, it was not done on Yom Tif, because you're afraid you're going to do Malacha, you're not allowed to make fires and other things that they did, the Tik and Godel. But we have no Beis HaMikdash. So we don't necessarily have to use fires. We don't necessarily have to have a chalil, that means the musical instruments. We could do it by singing with our mouth. So as the Rebbe would often say, our disadvantage, the fact that there's no Beis HaMikdash, becomes an advantage that we could do it more. Simchas, Beis HaSheva starts tonight. He spoke 15 minutes, yeah? So after the Sikha, we all chazed the Sikha, and people want to dance. This is one of those stories where it's hard to know how much the Rebbe gets the credit for it and how much the Hasidim gets the credit for it. The, the reaction to the Sikha was unbelievable. And then the following night he spoke again, also for 20 minutes. But in a very, very short time, it turned from 50 to 20 minutes into an hour. You know, the Rebbe, it became like a whole fabrengen. And that would speak and speak and speak. So at first we danced in front of 770. Then we danced. A woman reminded me, I didn't remember this myself, a woman reminded me that the first year, we were dancing 
from President and Brooklyn till President and Albany. That's two city blocks. Then down Albany till Montgomery, then up Montgomery from Albany to Brooklyn and back again. That's four city blocks and six small blocks. And the circle was completely closed. There were so many people that there was no spaces. You know what that means? Hundreds and hundreds of people. So if you want to know why the cops gave us Montgomery and Kingston, they'd rather give us Kingston than give us Brooklyn, Kingston, and Albany, you understand? For a couple of nights, that's how we danced. And then it was negotiated. They gave us, they basically closed Crown Street and Montgomery Street. And then Kingston Avenue was closed. But at least on Brooklyn, and on Brooklyn has a, actually has a bus. And on Albany, the, the Kingston bus had to be redirected. The traffic ran. And this is a tradition which exists to this day. And all of a sudden, boring circus became no sleep. It was unbelievable. Simchat Beit HaShe'eva took off like a rocket. It was so successful. And we danced a whole night. From whatever it is, 9 till 6 o'clock in the morning. And we do it six nights. Hashanah Rabbah somehow, after Tillim, we don't go back onto the street. But till six, every single night. We dance a whole night. And if you've ever been to the beginning it's formal and it's for children, and then a little later it's for show offs and for drunks. But late in the night, Simcha's Beisashieva becomes a literally holy experience. I mean, the, the girls don't get to dance, and it's unfortunate, but you can watch it. The last few hours are hundreds of men just dancing. And I can tell you this from experience when you join a bunch of people and dance, Sooner or later, you forget about yourself. You just forget about yourself. And it was, it was a, it, it, to me, the closest experience to holiness that I know is that dancing. The Rebbe wasn't present physically, but you get lost and you just dance and you just dance. And it really is unbelievably uplifting and happy. It's an incredible experience. It's a brainchild of the Rebbe, one of the thousands of ideas, the hundreds of ideas that Rebbe thought of. And Simchat Beis HaShe'eva is a smashing success. Unbelievable. Of course, everything is not perfect. It's a fantastic success. And of course, after Lubavitch, so in the beginning, everybody came here. Everybody. Chassidim, Misnagdim. And then slowly but surely, every community makes their own Simchat But they do it for one night, for a couple of hours. We do it every night, all night, till six in the morning. And then the policeman push you off the street. I don't want the policeman to push me. I just find, I just have a Rahmanas and Dennis they should push a yid. So I get off the street before they push me. Um, but Simchas Beis HaShe'eva is one of those things, it's a gift from the Rebbe. And all of a sudden, Sukkot, which for 20 years had been so dynamic, and then for 10 years was so really sleepy, became no sleepy. And the Rebbe used to talk about how in the Gemara it says that they, um, they, they slept, but they didn't enjoy their sleep, they didn't taste sleep, because they would lay their heads on the shoulder of the person next to them and doze off for a few minutes because it was a whole night. And then in the good years when I was a chassid shabacha, you went the whole night till the Sheva. Then at 6 o'clock in the morning you ran to the Karastid Mikvah. Then you went to 770 and you waited. Then the Rebbe came with the Lulav which I'll talk about soon. Shook the Rebbe's Lulav and he went downstairs and daven with the Rebbe. After davening, you went on Miftzayim. I remember going on Miftzayim and seeing people in quadruple. <laughs> Every person I shook a with four people. We were so tired. He did it a day after a day, and then your body would fall apart. Uh, we got, it was incredible. But this was what happened. This is what happened as a consequence of Simchat Beis Sheva. It changed Crown Heights forever. I mean, even now, 
it's not as many people for many reasons and probably mostly because every community does their own but Simcha's Beis HaShave is amazing and it's really holy it's religion it's beautiful it's fun it's uplifting and it's Mamish Avoides Hashem and it's, it's, it's a gift of the Rebbe's and all of a sudden Sukkot became unbelievably dynamic okay everybody did everybody did sure you tap the Sukkot you ate Pyrus you said L'chaim you told the story that's what they did. Nobody danced. But even in Lubavitch. They had Simch Beit in Lubavitch. What was Simch Beit in Lubavitch? A Fabrengen. You sat around, you, say, you spoke Sichas, you said Lachayim. Okay, baby, you got a little shikir, so at the end of the night you danced a little. A man told me a name of a Yid, who I remember, who told me that when he was young and healthy, he would sit in the sukkah a whole night every night. And drink. And Fabreng. But he didn't dance. He certainly didn't dance in the streets. And he certainly didn't dance in the streets with hundreds of people. That experience is incredibly unique. It's incredible. It's really special. It's very special. You have to talk loud so I can hear you. Why did the always sit in Dorim? Sit in Dorim? I'm supposed to tell you I don't know because that's the truth. But the Rebbe said once publicly, my mockum Kavu is in Dorim. My fixed place is in South. The reason the Rebbe said it was because in the shul upstairs, the Rebbe dav min by the door, which is Suffolk. So somebody wrote a whole thing on the Rebbe's places in Suffolk. The Rebbe said, my place is in Dorim. The only reason I dav in Suffolk is because I don't want to disturb the people. In the Gemara, the Meshulchan was in Suffolk and the Meneda was in Dorim. In the Besamikdash. I said the Gemara. In the Besamikdash, the Shulchan was in the North and the Meneda was in the South. And the Gemara says, If you want to be rich, go to the north. If you want to be smart, go to the south. And the Shimon is because the Shulchan was on the northern side and the Meneda was on the southern side. I think that's the reason. The Meneda is Torah. The Rabbeim sat in Dorim. But the Rabbi, he sat in Dorim, right. but he faced Mizrah. No, you face itself. No, no, I'm not talking about David. I'm talking about Fabringa. Oh. Fabringa. Any other questions? Where was the Rebbe? Um, he was in his room. And now, if the Rebbe had come to Simcha Sheva, now this is going to be really blasphemy. He would have ruined it. Because we would have sat and looked at him. The Rebbe would have, I, I think, would have loved to join. And I'm sure he was there. But Simcha's Beis Hashiyeva was physically the Rebbe was in 770. And the, Rebbe, the story is how the Rebbe said, Mistami is by Simcha's Beis Hashiyeva, and somebody was asleep. I should be careful because I'm not so religious about Simcha's Beis Hashiyeva myself. There were Chassidim who stayed up every night, didn't go to sleep. Every night they danced all night. Real bitter Chassidim, you know. Rabbi Marlow danced all night. Pinya Karfal of Hashem, they danced all night. Every night they were just there. Simcha's Beis Hashiyeva, very, very. Erlecha people, people who are really book people and more earnest people, they simchas beis hasheva was a rav from the rebbe, and they all uh, participated till six in the morning every single night. Okay, can I move on? Does anybody else want to say anything? Now, the f- the first night of sukkahs, the rebbe had a minig that he would visit the different sukkahs, and the first sukkah he would visit was the guests by seven seventy. Guests came to the rebbe always. 
when the guests first started coming way back, these 50, 60 years ago, I'm going to say bad words now, okay, so be careful. <laughs> it was all geish. It was all Russians. So everybody knew someone. So you came to the Rebbe, you stayed in someone's house. But over time, the percentage of chassidim who came were geish was less and less. And was more and more the Rebbe's own chassidim, particularly the Bailei Tshuva. They didn't know anybody. And uh, at some point, it was simply not realistic for people just to host them. And the Rebbe complained and complained and complained about Chantasarch. The Rebbe took it personally. The Rebbe felt guests are coming to him. I need them. I need to provide them with accommodations. I need my Hasidim to help them. And they're not doing it. And the Rebbe complained. The end of the story was that an Israeli undertook to make a Chantasarch. His name was Amesha Yaroslavsky, Oliver Shalom. His son is the Rebbe of Nachas Chabad. He would come here in the end of Elul and raise tens of thousands of dollars, including a very nice check, which he would get from the Rebbe personally. And he would provide accommodations, which meant beds, apartments. Boys and girls is one thing, but people came in families. And he provided whatever they needed, a place to sleep and food, food. And the food he provided in, the, in, the, in different venues where people would eat in large groups. The women ate above, above the, in the, what's called the Farban, in, on, uh, where the Koilal is now, um, on Kingston Avenue, uh, above the library, and the men ate in the sukkah. So the Rebbe would come into the sukkah to greet the Orchim and say a little sikha, the first night of Yom Tif. And the idea was that Ramesha Yaroslavsky, who was the Israeli host of the guests, would invite the Rebbe to come speak in the sukkah. And the Rebbe would say to him, you're the ma'areach, you're the host, you have to go first. So the Rebbe Shasavsky would walk ahead of the Rebbe with his body contorted, he didn't want to turn his back to the Rebbe, invite the Rebbe into the sukkah, the Rebbe would come into the sukkah and he would speak. I have a neighbor who, who, whose shver was a good friend of Rebbe Shasavsky, who told me there's a couple of years that Rebbe could not come himself, so he had to do it. And he told him the first night sukkah, you have to go over to the Rebbe and invite the Rebbe to come into the sukkah which was uncomfortable as it is. But then the idea that the Rebbe says to you, you're the host, you walk in front and I'll walk behind you, was very hard for him, but that's the way it was. And the Rebbe went to the sukkah, he spoke a sikha to the archim. And I think the Rebbe also went to some other sukkahs as well. But this was the first night sukkahs the Rebbe went to the sukkah. I'm not sure about the other places. It was one of the regular features of Tishrei. And the archim were very important. The guests were very important to the Rebbe. And I'm just going to tell you one detail. There's a lot to say about that. That's a whole other parsha, yeah? But this is going to blow your mind. Any guest who came to the Rebbe at any time in the year from France, the Rebbe paid 50% of the traveling expenses. Any guest who came to the Rebbe from France any time of the year, if a trip costed $500, the Rebbe got to be a check for $250. Every guest. Now, why France? It's the same reason the Rebbe sat in Dodham. The correct answer is I don't know. The Rebbe lived in France. The Rebbe had a very deep connection to France. The Rebbe liked to speak in French. And it's the story that the Rebbe hated France and now the Rebbe made the Sikh of Ayesha of Nunbez. The Rebbe made France into a beater. But this is, a, you want to know there were so many Frenchies? Because they got tickets half off. <laughs> the Rebbe paid every single boy and girl, man and woman, France, 50% of the cost. Now the Anash, I'm going to say now a bad word again, the Geje Chevre, there's a rule when the Rebbe gives you money, you take it. So the Rebbe gave them a check, they took it. But they didn't want to use the Rebbe's money. Bachrim used to save pennies a whole year, just to have enough money to come to the Rebbe for Yom Tif. 
and then they would give back the money the Rebbe gave them. They took it. They took it. And they cashed it. They deposited it. And then they would give the money back to the Rebbe as Maimit. But people who couldn't afford, and the Bechlal, Yidin who came to the Rebbe from other places in the world, if the Rebbe found out that it was very hard, when they would go into Yechidus, the Rebbe would say, go into the Mosquitos, and he would give generous, generous contributions, like a quarter, even, even not friends. The Rebbe helped people come to the Rebbe. The guests were really important to the Rebbe. They were really, we, Crown Heights, I hate to say it, we hated them. But the Rebbe, and the truth is, you think about it now, if not for the guests, you know what Tishi Crown Heights would look like? The, the feeling of the Rebbe's presence today, after Gimel Tam, is all the Archim. And if you're a Crown Heights and don't like it, I promise you, you don't want to sit comfortably in your seat in a quiet show where the most exciting thing is, can you pass me the tissues? Um, the, the feeling of the Rebbe's presence, 770, has everything to do with the guests. And the hosting of the guests was a big deal to them. Go ahead. So when did Crown Heights It's all after Gemal Thomas. All after Gemal Thomas. It's all after, you know this, you can make an argument that there's more guests coming out that came then. Lubavitch is so much bigger as a family, as a community. Where's you can place? argue there's more guests here this year than there were in Mamalaf. Yeah. Yeah. Actually? Actually. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. It was Hakim. Mamalaf was Hakim. There's much more people. It's in, Lubavitch is bigger. And I hate to say it, Mekum to Kukana the Mesiris Nefesh to come is unbelievable. It's mamish unbelievable. Not to look at a chair. Right, uh, right. But technically, that's what the Rebbe's expression was. Kukunaf Abenko. Now, the next thing on the agenda is Lulav. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in Lubavitch, everything does in pairs. You know, when we keep the pieces, we have an official fight. <laughs> You're on this side of the street, I'm on that side of the street, and everybody's happy. Um, I feel like when communities are very small, they get along. Then they get a little big, they start to fight. Then they become so big, they stop fighting. They just become two communities and everyone's happy. And we're getting there slowly. Crown Heights is getting <laughs> We're fighting less because we're so big. There's enough room for me to hate you on one side of the street. You And we're all good. You got mine, I got yours. There's only one 770. But okay, they're working that out also. There's upstairs and downstairs. Okay, I don't want to get myself into any more trouble. <laughs> the next thing was Lulif. The next thing is Lulif. The, the Rebbe, before he was Rebbe yet, had a minig, people came to the Rebbe and asked the Rebbe to make a bracha on his Lulif. On the Rebbe's Lulif. Before he was Rebbe, in the feet of his lifetime. Why did they ask him to make a bracha on the Rebbe's Lulif? I don't think it was so much because the Rebbe was a holy man, as much as the Rebbe had bashed a better Lulif. And he probably had a Yanav Esrik. So people used to ask the Rebbe to make a bracha on the Rebbe's Lulu before the Rebbe was Rebbe. By the way, I forgot to mention that Rabbeim, it says in the Rebbe's Nishimis, that Rabbeim always used a Yanav Esrik, an Esrik from Italy, from Calabria, from Yan, from Genoa, from Yanav. And one year the Rebbe Rashad did not have a Yanav Esrik. He made a bracha on a Tzodik Esrik and he cried. It's a tradition that goes back to the Alter Rebbe. And the Balshem Tev said, the Alter Rebbe said that when Meshach Rabbeim was told by the Eibishter, uh, on a cloud, and they went to Italy, Italy, and they brought back a sregim. used from Italy, not from Israel, but quietly and secretly, the Rabbeim had a second esrik from Israel, and in their room after davening, the Rabbeim would shake the lulav with the esrik of Israel as well. So people just come to seven seven and shake the Rabbeim's lulav. So when the Rebbe became Rebbe, it sort of continued. I think Rebbe Zalman Duchman was the one who asked first. 
But it became sort of a natural thing that the Rebbe, you come to 770, make a bracha on the Rebbe's lulav. By the way, our meaning is, let me tell you the whole story, okay? The Rebbe gave people the lulav to make a bracha, and he went upstairs, and he went to the apartment of the Fiyadik Rebbe, and he brought down a, a platter of cake for people to make a bracha. Now we're not, you know, we make a, we shake the lulav before davening, not like the rest of the Jewish world, the, in the middle of davening, right? before davening, you're not allowed to eat. So in Lubavitch, it's a mitzvah to eat. So someone told the Rebbe that this is, you know, the idea that the Rebbe is serving people cake before davening in public could be a chil Hashem. It's And the Rebbe responded, It's a custom of chesidim. You're not supposed to be ashamed of minik of chesidim. The story behind this is important. I'm telling this to you for a reason. To make a leishe basukah, you don't have to eat. You have to sit in the sukkah in a relaxed way. When you go into the sukkah and eat cake or drink wine, you make a leishe basukah. If you go in for a fruit, you don't make a leishe basukah. What happens if you go into the sukkah for a good schmooze? You sit two, three hours, you're not going to eat anything. A pi'alacha, there's a line that you cross, which is called metayelba, to stroll around in the sukkah. And if you're in that category, you have to make a barakha nation basukkah. What about when you go into the sukkah for one minute to make havdalah? What about when you sit for one minute to shake a lulah? Do you make a nation basukkah? You probably should. You're doing a mitzvah. A mitzvah is a kviyas, right? Havdalah is a mitzvah. Lulah is a mitzvah. So the solution is that you eat cake. So the rabbi used to bring cake. So the people with, along with shaking the lulav and the sukkah would make a leisha basukkah. The Rebbe brought the cake not so much for the cake, they brought the Rebbe for the cake for the leisha basukkah for shaking the lulav. So for you girls, when you're going to go into your sukkah, or wherever you're going to be, and you're going to shake the lulav, there's an, I know you don't want to eat cake because you're worried about all kinds of wonderful important things, but there's a reason to eat a shtick of the cake in the sukkah because you want to make a leishe v'sukkah, leishe v'sukkah goes on the lulav also because there's a shayla that for the lulav alone you can make a leishe v'sukkah because you're doing a mitzvah. Anyway, so the Rebbe used to give people his lulav. The Rebbe became a Rebbe, the custom continued. How did the custom continue? The Rebbe came to 770 pretty early. I mean, in my years, it came around 7.15 in the morning. He went into his room, he took his lulav, went out into the sukkah. He did the Dalad Min, and they had a cup of tea, and then the Rebbe opened the door. And you would walk in. My father remembers this. And the Rebbe was standing in the corner with a say from the Rebbe Marash, I presume, my, my father always tells me that the reason was the Rebbe Marash is that the Rebbe Marash Hasidus is written in short, so the Rebbe was able to concentrate. I don't buy that. I really believe the Rebbe looked at the Marash because in the Rebbe Marash you have the Hemshech B'Kocha, which is all about Yom Tif. All the Yom Tif, the Rebbe Marash goes through Elul, Rosh Hashanah, Seresim Yitzhuva, Yom Kippur, Dalad, Yom Tzukas, and Tzukas. All the mitzvahs, the whole Tishrei is described in a series of the Rebbe Marash in a very orderly way. And he would look at Every person who walked there would look at you. He'd listen to you, make the brachas, and answer Amen. So every Lubavitcher got to walk into the sukkah, take the Rebbe's lulav, make two brachas on the first day, one brach each other day, and the Rebbe would say, Amen. And then when it finished, the Rebbe went to Davin. What happened eventually was, people came late. So the Rebbe, all the old people who didn't, you know, didn't sleep, were there on time, and then the younger people started rolling in, and at one point the Rebbe said, I don't have to wait people to finish their extra sleep. So around 1962, Chavez or Gimel, the Rebbe gave the sukkah, the lulav to Rabbi Meir Harlech, Zog Zunzain, Shlita. The Rebbe made the brach himself and then he gave it to him. And every time he gave him the lulav, even after the first day, the Rebbe would say, Matana manas lahachzeh. 
it's a gift to get back, so it will be good for the nice little kelech, like it says in the Chayim Yem. So the Rebbe stopped doing it personally. So the first two days Yom Tif, the Rebbe came very early, around 7.15, which for the Rebbe was very early. And by 7.40, the Lul was already waiting. And we would make, we'd line up. Chalamoyed, the Rebbe came around 9. So by 9.15, the, the Elam was lining up. So what happened was, you could wait four or five hours for the Lulav. So they made a system where you came at six in the morning, and they gave you a ticket. And they said, come back seven o'clock, come back eight o'clock. They would estimate, so you literally didn't have, if you got a ticket, you didn't have to wait in line. You came nine o'clock, this is your number, and it made it much better, this was in the later years, much better and easier for everybody. And hundreds of people made a brach on the Rebbe's Dalminim every day. As a rule, and I've heard exceptions to this rule, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I don't know, and it's really not that important. Um, as a rule, the Rebbe did not give his Da'al Minim to women. And I don't know halachically why. The first day I understand. But after the first day, there's no Lachem Bechlal. The Rebbe gave the women the Da'al Minim on Rabbe. There was a Tzadikis in Lubavitch named Mariachi Gerelik. I don't know if she got it from the Rebbe's own hand, if she got it from the secretary, but she would stand on the deck. I remember saying that the women would line up, and the women got an opportunity to make a baruch on the Rebbe's Dalad Minim, on Hashan Rabbe. But every day of Sukkot, as a bacharim, you would, you know, I told you, a whole night we danced, you went to the mikveh, you went, you sat in the sukkah, you fell asleep, the lulav rolled in, you were right there, you were the first ones in line, you made a baruch and you went to Davin. Now, the Rebbe came in 10 o'clock, to Davin. When the Rebbe came into Davin, they didn't have his lulav with him. He came in with a siddur. So the Rebbe's lulav stayed outside till probably 11.15, which is at least two hours, sometimes three or more. They would come to Rabbi Harlig and they would tell him they just did Kedusha, or whatever, the middle of Halal. And then he would take the lulav downstairs, he would walk to the front of the shul, and he would put down the lulav on the Rebbe's standard. He put it down by the Rebbe. And the Rebbe kept it for Halal. No, no, before, in Chazar Sashat, in Chazar Sashat. They would tell him, that was holding after Kedusha, he would go downstairs, and the Rebbe said halal with the lulav. And then the Rebbe kept it till after davening. Rebbe kept it till after davening, and then would walk out, hold, that's the beautiful picture of holding the lulav, was always on the way out, never on the way in. Now I have to tell you one story, and I know that there's very little time, and I really need a little more than a little time, but this is a story. In Tavshinden Beis, the year of the stroke, Rabbi Harlig came to 770, at 7.30 in the morning, what time it was, the Rebbe went into the sukkah, he shook the Dalad Minim, Rabbi Harlig went in and he gave the Rebbe a glass of tea, this was all the regular tradition, and then a few minutes later he knocked on the door to take the Dalad Minim from the Rebbe as he always did, and the Rebbe is holding the Dalad Minim, he's not giving it to him. So Mayor Harlig doesn't know what to do, you don't argue with the Rebbe, and he reaches out to take it and the Rebbe is not giving it to him, so finally the Rebbe says, the Mershton Tog, the Ershton Tog daf mishtein alein, it's the first day, the first time I do it myself. And after stopping for almost 30 years, the Rebbe went in that little room. They built a little, little room with two doors. He went in one door and you shook the Rebbe's lulav. And he stood a quarter to eight in the morning till two thirds in the afternoon. How many hours is that? It's four, five, six and a half hours. From 7.45. He was 89 and a half years old, watching every Lubavitcher walk by the Rebbe and make two brachas. And say, oh, brach. The Rebbe wouldn't sit. They offered the Rebbe his stand there, the Rebbe wouldn't lean. I walked into the sukkah at 1.15, 1.30. The 
back was concave. You know what that means? He was in so much physical pain. Like this. But the devil was so stubborn. He stood for over six hours and watched every Lubavitcher And those people who didn't know that the Rebbe was doing this, who already made a bracha on their own lulav, came to seven seven and just gave a shake. And the Rebbe looked at each one. There was one event where the Rebbe saw all the men. There was another event where the Rebbe saw all the women. And there was another event where the Rebbe saw all the children. That day, Shachna started three o'clock. Now, four o'clock in the United Nations, there was a vote about Israel. They got to Halam, this is 30 more seconds. They got to Halam about seven minutes to four. And the Rebbe played with his lulav. For seven minutes, he was fixing, tying his lulav. We should start the Baruch of Halal exactly at four o'clock. The Rebbe was acutely aware, and we, I remember that. Mamish, seven minutes. Bechlal, every day the Rebbe used to tighten his lulav. That year, the Rebbe went, Mamish, the Maise, we daven Shachis till 5.30. <laughs> we daven Mincha with the Rebbe, daven Mincha with his talis. And then we ran home to each of the Shabbos, ran back from Maida. It was one of those marathon days. I wish I had more time to describe it, but this is what, what we had. The first day, Sukkot. I don't know.